Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things I think we lost during the pandemic is just the, uh, the, 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 the kind of intimacy of being in community and conversation with one another. And, and uh, it's, it's, for those of you who have ever tried to do this, to speak to a camera, it kind of it, it messes with you a little bit. And, and so um, I've always been a pastor that wants to be with the people, and uh, plexiglass doesn't help that. I know some of you would probably appreciate me going back to it. Uh, but I'm so glad for, thank you. I appreciate that, Mr. Potter, affirming he doesn't want to go back to plexiglass either. Uh, but I'm so grateful for you as a community of faith. I pray this morning that as I share very briefly from the Word of God as we prepare to participate in the supper that the Lord commanded us to do as often as possible. Um, that somehow God might have a word for us. Um, the theme of these last several weeks of preaching has been that God desires to form for himself a people, not just an individual. That we indeed as the church are called to become that which God desires us to be, not only for our blessing, not only for our benefit, but for the blessing of the world. And yet, in his great providence, he seems to still speak to individual hearts and minds. And so as we gather together to be his collective body, to bring witness to the world, God does not do so without caring about us, caring about you. So this morning as I prepare to read the word, I invite you to Stand with me one more time. I'm so sorry for letting you sit and stand. It feels a little bit like VBS or Children's Church. Uh, it's a little prayer that we pray together as we prepare our hearts to hear the word. So would you pray this with me? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, reading from verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm convinced the older I get that faith requires practices. I am by nature an experiential learner. By that I mean this, that when something affects me, I tend to pay attention to it. That's why I like shows like America's Got Talent so much. Don't think any less of me. You can like America's Got Talent and read books. 
But there is something about Christian faith that goes beyond our experience. In fact, I would suggest that today, in our culture, because of the high regard and emphasis we put on how we feel, we tend to not do the things we should do even when we don't feel like it, and that is important for us. Christian faith makes room for the experience, makes room for my feelings, but it is not the place from which I grow. In fact, I would suggest to you that historically speaking, the way that faith has been passed on has been through the practices of people who have been faithful to God in every season of life. In fact, I want to suggest to you this morning, I was planning to sit because that usually means I speak a little less. So let me do that. In case you're wondering why I have a stool. Is that faith is passed on through practices. The church has existed for many, many years, and one of the reasons exist, of course, is because God has always been faithful to the church. God has sustained the church. God has enabled the church to be what it is today. In fact, Jesus said that I will be with you until the end of the age. So we know that the reason faith still exists amongst people and the reason the church still exists is primarily because of God. But there is the sense that God has also encouraged people to do certain things to ensure that the faith continues to go from generation to generation. Let me put it differently. The continuity of the Christian faith is undoubtedly sustained by God. God upholds our faith. God upholds the church. But also by people who practice their faith not only for themselves, but for the sake of those who would come after them. Instilled within the Hebraic mind, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as the people are about to enter a pagan land that was promised to them, God, in, through the voice of Moses, wants to teach the people how faith gets passed on even in a society that would push against it. God wants to teach the people what it means to be faithful, not only for one generation, but for generations to come. I want you to hear me say this to you as the church. When we practice faith here at Skyview, we always ought to think that it's not just for ourselves, but it is for those who are coming behind us. It is for the little Maggies. And it is for the children of the little Maggies. I know mom's not ready to entertain that thought yet. We do church in such a way that, yes, we matter, but we participate in the work and the worship and the life and the ministry of this church, not only for our sake, but so that our faith would be transported on, be carried on, carried forward throughout generations until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So many of us at home, watching, and in person, have to a large extent been shaped by practices that others have done. Sometimes in community and sometimes by individuals. Sometimes very intentionally and sometimes not as intentionally. Let me share with you a couple of the practices that shaped me, and some of you will resonate with this. Weekly worship was done twice on a Sunday. 
Anybody else want to admit they were suffering through that as well? Not suffering, it was good. Sunday nights were testimony nights. That's where the church learned that it's not only the pastor who can speak about the things of God, but in fact, everyone who follows him has a word, has an experience, has a testimony. That shaped me. Sunday school, where I learned the stories of Scripture. I learned that there is 66 books in the Bible, 27 in the New Testament, do the math, 39 in the Old. I learned about covenants, about God's faithfulness, about what it means to be a a young person who is trying to discern what it means to follow Jesus. My Sunday school teachers invested weekly in telling these great stories of Scripture that it became imprinted on my mind. In fact, we were were taught to memorize Scripture. That's why in conversation, sometimes I'm talking to somebody and, 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 and all of a sudden Scripture comes out of me. I think somewhere in the Bible it says, hide your word in my heart. I I think there's something powerful about the way in which I was shaped through Sunday school. Midweek Bible studies. Who remembers that? You're all thinking, oh, he's getting all nostalgic on us. Didn't think he was that old. We had a program called Christian Caravan. It was the Nazarene version of the Scouts. We should never have done it. It was weird. We had these weird berets. It was weird. It was weirder than the Scouts berets. But in Scouts, we learned different... (laughs) Sorry, a memory came to mind that's probably not appropriate to share. But we learned how to do different things. We got badges, and we prayed together. We learned how to work together. Weekly choir practices might surprise you, but these are some of the ways in which... People found community, using their gifts together, prayed together, sung together. You know what is remarkable as I think about the choirs that I was a part of growing up, and I have an incredible singing voice. If you want to hear it, come sit in the front row with me. Is that these choir practices were more than just presenting a song to a people. It was actually a place of connecting in community with one another. Where people got to hear the stories and the life experiences of others. Became friends. Learned how to share life together. Prayed with one another. The choir meeting was a lot more than just preparing for a song on a Sunday. It was actually a place of formation. A place of Christian community a place of accountability, a place of prayer. I wonder, as a church, Skyview, what practices do we do that will ensure that this faith that many of us hold dear here today will get passed on to the next generation? I wonder, as families gathered here today hearing me share these thoughts, what practices in our homes ensures that our children will grow up with a desire to participate in the very faith that we have claimed as our own? 
James Smith says that the orientation of the heart happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habits of desire. Learning to love God takes practices. And I would suggest to us as a church that what we do repeatedly speaks more about what matters to us than we think. More significantly, what we make a habit of reveals who we are and what we care about. And so as we examine our hearts in light of the scripture, and we hear this farewell speech of Moses who would not go into the promised land, as he speaks to the people, he's saying the responsibility is not only for you to be obedient to the commandments of God, but that you would teach those things to your kids. And the way you teach them to your kids is going to ensure that you remain the people of God no matter what season and what place you find yourself in. We do not do church at Skyview just for ourselves. I've heard many people say to me over the years, um, you know, I, I, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Fair. Just like it's fair to say you don't need to be a car, you don't need to go to a garage to be a car, right? The logic is that the place doesn't ultimately define who you are. But I wonder if we were to recover this kind of biblical understanding of our faith that's rooted not only in an I experience of God, but in a we experience of God, that we practice our faith not only for ourselves, for our sake, for our benefit, but for others, then that's a different way of measuring our participation in the very things that shape us. I think one of the biggest challenges today, not only in the West, but throughout the world, is a Christianity that is so bent on the self that we do not think about how our actions actually impact others. A Christianity that is so self-serving that it keeps us from thinking about how, as our indigenous brothers and sisters so well put it, how what we do today will get passed on to the next seven generations. Perhaps there's more at stake than just you and me. I have preached some wonderful exegetical messages from this pulpit. Amen? <laughs> that was not the place to laugh, but... <laughs> but I'm convinced that what imparts faith and what imparted faith in my life was the deep, committed, passionate faithfulness of a church family. We may think that, you know, if we just listen to the right podcast or the right preacher or sing the right songs or attend the right denomination, that that would be the key to faith being passed on. But the key to faith being passed on, the key to faith becoming something important for the next generation, for my children, is not going to rest in my exegetical prowess or the songs we sing here at Skyview, even how good we do church. But it's going to depend on the practices of a dad, the faithfulness of a dad and a mom.
the things that we do that says to our kids, this is what it means to love Jesus. I'm convinced that more people need to see the evidence of the word that many of us have memorized. They need to see the embodiment of the hope of Jesus Christ through the lived experience of the church. But what about people? Not just communities, people who have practiced their faith in such a way that we have benefited from it. And I want to do something as I kind of move us into communion and... um, I want you to think about people that has influenced you, that has contributed to the faith you now have. I know that not everybody here comes from a Christian home, that somehow God's grace has has also been shared with people who don't have a history of Christianity in their home, and I thank God for that. But I also know many of you here today have inherited a faith that was passed on by individuals, people that you have made an indelible impression upon you. I want you to think about that person right now or those people right now and give God thanks for them. (laughs) Praying parents, mothers and grandmothers and granddads and dads, uncles and aunties, sometimes biological, sometimes not. Big brothers and sisters, my children, they are all getting so big. I'm starting to get a little bit you know, don't leave house kind of thing. I don't want to get that big. I, Facebook brings up these memories, and, and they bring up, and I, they were so cute when they were little. <laughs> they were so affectionate. <laughs> you know, Alana would run to me, and she'd do the whole complete jump into my arms, and then we'd dance together. And I'm going to out her a little bit along with her brother and sister. I come home and I don't even know if they know I'm home, except Ellie is really happy to see me. (laughs) But my children need bigger brothers and sisters. To show them what faith looks like. to teach them what it means to believe in a God who loves and who is faithful. Faithful saints in the church who took a vested interest in my life made a difference in my life. Maybe there's some of us here, we we, we don't have biological children of our own. I just want to throw this out there. We need more aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. We need more moms and dads to adopt (laughs) the spiritual orphans amongst us, the individuals amongst us that are craving, seeking somebody who cares about them enough to walk with them, to ask how they're doing, to pray for them. As I think about the faithfulness of people in my life, these were people who gave sacrificially to the work and the ministry of the church, whether it be to missions or building buildings. They modeled for me what it means to be a person that does not consider what I own as my own, but that I give what I have away. A family who prayed together.
You may know this, but Deuteronomy is the most frequently quoted Old Testament book by New Testament scholars. And the kind of faith that Deuteronomy depicts, as I've already said, highlights, yes, the significant role that God will play in sustaining His people in a land that was not their own, but also the importance that a people play in passing on faith. Amidst the challenges of culture and society that sought to conform the Israelites, God says to them that nothing around you can take away this faith if you remain faithful to me and faithful to passing on your faith to others. It may feel, and with this I close, like the sky is falling on Christianity in the Western world. But sometimes stepping back and recognizing that historically speaking, the church has faced opposition and persecution in unprecedented ways. That the church has had to survive in seasons where it was very difficult to practice Christianity. And yet the church has survived every century of history because of the one who said he will be with us until the end of time and because of the responsible grace of individuals like us who has made a commitment to practice their faith not only for themselves but for the next generation. What would it look like today in our lives to consider the practices not only of our individual homes and families and what it says to our children, but the practices of our church in light of others? In fact, Jesus gave us a practice. He said, I want you to, when you eat together, remember me, to do it often. Insights that people like James Smith gives us tells us that practices, they can point us towards some deeper things. We may, in fact, start out doing things that we don't really know is going to yield any really good fruit, like exercise. A few years ago, I, I knew I had to get into the gym. And I know what you're thinking. You're looking at me going... You don't need that. <laughs> Again, not appropriate laughter. <laughs> Timing is everything, folks. But little did I know that as I was personally facing the prospects of back surgery that the 15 minutes on a bicycle, yeah, I do the old people's workout, the treadmill, oh no, no, the elliptical, you know what they do with the ellipticals? They, they put the ellipticals <laughs> at the back so you can see all the real athletes running in front of you. Don't <laughs> feel bad about yourself. But where I started out and where it took me, had I not recognized the importance of sticking with it? Who knows? 
The call of the Lord to the church is to a long obedience in the same direction. To a faithfulness that runs deeper than just our emotions and our feelings. And to participating together in practices that not only edifies our spirit, hearts, minds, and souls, but bears witness for the sake of my children, your children, and the generations to come. How would that change what we consider success to look like as a church? How would that affect how we evaluate our programs, our ministries, our efforts? Today, we as people of faith come together in obedience to practice what Jesus has invited us to do. We have a chance to love God through being obedient to his command. And as we participate at this table this morning, we do so as, yes, an act of obedience, but recognizing that often practicing obedience will lead us deeper into love, will lead us deeper into who God is. And as we do this today, as a community of faith, we want to prepare our hearts and our minds for it. We want to be open to what God might be teaching us, leading us into. In fact, it is Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, it is he that took this bread and, and, and he gave thanks and he broke the bread and he gave it to disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and then he took the cup. Uh, maybe I should show you the cup we have. I, I, I'm pretty sure that this wasn't the kind of cup Jesus drank from. But I like it. He took the cup and he said some things to them that I don't think they quite fully understood when he said that, you know, this will be an emblem, a symbol of my lifeblood that I'm giving. So that you, through the shed blood, might receive forgiveness of sins. I was thinking about what I was preaching on and I was thinking, how does that relate to this table today? I, I think that the table in our homes is something that is present. It is something that we can turn to a lot. And, and perhaps some of us need to recover some practices around the table uh, that shapes and forms faith again. Why do we pray with our children? Why do we take the time to sit down and eat with others? This table of our Lord is one of hospitality that invites us to participate as those who acknowledge who he is. And so this morning, you don't have to be a member of Skyview Church, although that's very cool. Right, Kevin? You want to be a part of this church? We'll take you. We love people here. But we do believe that this table means something really important. It is for those who are discerning of who Christ is, the opportunity to practice their faith 
that indeed the one who gave his life has done so that we may know life. So, if you have your elements before you, I invite you to open that now. Would you like some of this? We won't come around with all of that. You have it. Father God, we know that this is a reenactment to some extent of the meal that you shared with your disciples, but we also recognize today as we participate that we stand in obedience as they did for centuries. And there's a mystery to this. We, we don't pretend we understand it all, but we do know this, that as we are obedient to that which you've called us to, we are drawn closer into your love. And we demonstrate your love in better ways to others. Would you bless this time the symbols that we hold before us, may they be spiritually nutritious. <laughs> may they fill the appetites and the longings of our hearts for the things of God. May they quench the thirst that often leads us to places that does not satisfy. And may as we participate together in the meal that you've prepared for us, we be satisfied in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you eat and drink and give God thanks?